Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. And here we unpack how the church, as the body of Christ and institution, can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni and let's do justice. and welcome to another episode of Msingi Talks podcast and today I'm very excited to be hosting some of new friends who feel like I've known them for long and um, they are causing causing some drastic changes in the world and I'm honored to call them my friends, uh, my sisters, my siblings, East Africa region mates, the no white saviors people. So drum rolls, guys. Can we at least like scream and say, hey? Hey. (laughs) Dumbo. So um, I'd like to them to introduce themselves to uh, maybe you can start with uh, Wendy. Wendy, just a brief introduction to who you are and one thing that gives you joy. Oh, thank you, Caro. Thank you for having us as a team and me personally. I am Luvega Namatov Wendy, a team member at the No White Savior. One thing that gives me joy, one thing that I don't stop talking about is the need to reimagine our education especially here on the continent in the East African region because we all know or do understand that the education one can be given one is given can either liberate them or enslave them that's why it's important for us as East Africans as Ugandans as Kenyans to reimagine all that we've been told from school informal or formal and why it's been packaged that way so one word i am an african i know i went everywhere but yeah that's one word awesome pan-african and uh a pan-africanist who's uh committed to education and to narrative building olivia yeah who are you I love that question. Who are you? So uh, my name is Olivia Lasso-Pechens, and I'm a team member at the No White Saviors. And um, I'm a Pan-Africanist. I'm an African nationalist. Um, Africa is all around me. It's, 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 It's in me. And what gives me joy is seeing my community thrive and seeing my people get a better understanding that everything white is not right and everything black is not bad as it's been portrayed for a very long time so um that's 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 uh what i could say about myself awesome thank you olivia uh kelsey hello i am kelsey the colonizer the resident white savior in recovery and a team member at No White Saviors. Um, I am the one white member on the team and we, we like to normalize calling white people colonizers on this team. So um, in all seriousness, um, we, yeah, what brings me joy? I was thinking about that. It's a great question. I love Wendy um, and Olivia's answers to that. I was thinking about um, people refusing to Um, be identified by the worst things that have happened to them or by things that society or the world places a stigma on. I think it gives me joy to see people defying stereotypes, defying stigmas, and just um, living in the fullness of who they are and um, knowing like they deserve the fullness of their humanity to be realized. 
Awesome, thank you, Kelsey. So uh, I'd like to, anyone, anyone of you can answer this and, um, and you can chip in. So I think in 2019 or is it 2018, we suddenly woke up to this integrated sensation called No White Saviors. What brought you to Instagram? How did you get there? And what was the rationale behind creating the No White Saviors and then doing it online? Okay, so I'll start by saying, actually, Carol, there's no rationale. There was no formula. There was nothing to um, we set up to start with No White Saviors. So No White Saviors is a result of conversations between three people, me, Olivia, uh, Kelsey, and another friend and sister of ours called Sharon, who lives in Finland. She happened to have grown up in Jinja, and we are both from Jinja. Jinja is um, a city in the eastern town, in the eastern part of Uganda, and it happens to be a tourist destination. And uh, there's so many white people. When you talk about tourists, of course, you can't skip white people. And we all had different experiences growing up in this town um, as children who are seeing white people who in our schools, who are seeing white people on the streets moving. And as children, we had different questions, but of course we didn't have the answers to the questions. And when we grew up, we, we all happened to join the social work fraternity and we ended up working in, this, in the different NGOs, all of us. And within these NGOs, there's a lot we saw uh, from an equal power dynamics to um, to low pays of Ugandans to um, decision making to leadership structures, and when we saw all these things joining in personally, I I happened to work with Kelsey at some point in our career as social workers and. Um, Within my time of work, I saw that, you know, still the NGO sector had so many issues in terms of who decides what the community wants and also who, who leads, who is in the top leadership structure. So I got to, to a point where after seeing different organizations and even where I was working, I said, no, I don't think as a person, I have the power to change things because I am not a co-founder. I am not any top management. So I decided to just resign off my job and, and go home and um, didn't want to see any of this happen. More so the way Ugandans now had been started, they were starting to treat Ugandans this white girl who thought that we are being, um, we are being paid too much and we did not deserve what we were paid. And also the policing around of, of adults like me, a mom like me on different things, you have to do that. Yet I already know my, my work and, and my roles that I was assigned to. So some of those things were so hard for me as a person and I decided to leave. But it was not only me, it was different people in other organizations, Ugandans who had also experienced different issues. So when I moved out of the organization, I maintained my uh, relationship with Kelsey. I continued speaking with Kelsey. We were talking, but then after some time, she also left the organizations because she had her own reasons as well um, why she left. So we kept in touch and the three of us again, came back together, Michelle and Kelsey, and we started really openly discussing what we had seen in Ginger happen and, and the problem. And also Kelsey coming out and saying, I, I'm part of the problem and I was still part of the problem. I should have done more that time. And also coming out and telling people that these things really need to change. What what we are talking about is a reality. It happens in these organizations and as, as white people, we need to own up. So that's how we started these conversations. And then we started giving the different examples of what we had seen, like the Renee Bucks, 
Inei, the, the white girl who came and uh, with no medical qualification treated Ugandan children. So, so we started giving different scenarios. We started sharing our lived experiences. And then we, we started with a hashtag, no white saviors. And we ran off with that for just a little bit. And we said, okay, let's start the Instagram account. But um, we did not have this in mind that, you know what, we are going to sit down through this Instagram account and let it have 850,000 people know. So we just pushed this to the world. We started the conversations with one person following us to where we are right now. And, and so we didn't have any formula to set this up. We did not have that. It is now that we realized after some time that the work that we were doing was speaking for itself and people needed to, to actually listen to this work and the people needed this space. So this is how No White Saviors now becomes an Instagram account. And this is now how we begin connecting with different people in different parts of the world, Carol. Wow. I, I think for me, though, the inspiring, there's so much inspiration that can be drawn from this story. But the for me is that there was need. And I, I strongly believe that when we are called and led to do something, it's because the need is, is there. And so you guys, it was the right thing at the right time and you heading the conversation was just perfect. Um, I have a question for, for Wendy and uh, for, for Kelsey. Kelsey, what as a white savior in recovery and those are the terms that you call yourself, what what did you have to shed or what do you have to continually shed to do this work? And then uh, for, when, uh, for Wendy, you joined the team as, so I'm talking like this because we are friends. <laughs> Let me just put a disclaimer to the people here because we know each other. We've had quite a lot of conversations. So I, you, maybe someone who's new to this would ask, Carol, how did you know? And you never got to that point, but it's because we've hosted uh, and being, we've met, uh, being, being in each other's events and are generally friends. So, um, so for Wendy, I know you joined the team a bit later. How is it for you to join? Because now you knew what you were, you are getting into. Kelsey and um, and Olivia did didn't know as such, but Wendy, when you were joining, you knew that this is a, this is this work looks like this. There's this following on Instagram. There's this demand on us. There's this. So yeah, I'm interested to see it uh, from that side. So we can start with Kelsey and then uh, Wendy. Yeah. Thank you, Carol. Great question. I think um, what first came to mind when you asked, what do I need to continuously shed as a white member of the team and just in this work in general was the, the shift from needing to try to prove myself as a good white person. We, we coined the term good white person syndrome. And um, it's, it's a lot of what um, Malcolm X mentions about the danger of white liberals being <clears throat> that, you know, a white liberal is, is like a fox who will smile at you and then bite you. Um, and he's speaking about how white liberals behave or behave towards black people. And the white conservative is more like a, a wolf who will, you know, who, who bears his teeth and just bites you straight away. But the fox comes in smiling and then bites you after. And I think that really um, that that illustration from Malcolm X is so important because it is what we as white liberals um, and the people who need to try to prove ourselves as good white people are very good at will smile. Um, at black people, we will have black friends, we will date black um, partners, we will work and, and be white saviors, but at the end of the day, we will still weaponize our whiteness and our privilege um, because we know we have the ability to, we know that's how the world functions. So to continuously work on shedding that entitlement that comes with whiteness, the assumption that I know what's best um, and, and the acknowledgement of the harm, the violence my ancestors caused that I have been complicit in and that 
I could never do enough um, to dismantle. I don't think there should ever be a time we as white people get um, to a place of feeling like we are satisfied or we have accomplished what we needed to. I think when we really get honest about the way that we benefit from the system of anti-blackness and white supremacy, that it every day we should be waking up thinking, what more can we do to not save black people, to not um, rescue anyone, but to actively hold ourselves accountable. And it starts with self first. So it starts with naming the harm, harm I've caused and, and being accountable for um, the way that I can, can and do continue to, because it should, and it needs to look like less harm along the way, right? But um, I'm, I'm still white and you can't, um, I can't not be. And so being in the body I'm born into and socialized in the way that I have been, um, and existing in a world that continuously opens doors and grants me unearned privilege, power, and protection based on the color of my skin and my phenotypic presentation, um, I, I have to constantly be held accountable because there's not going to be a day that I don't benefit from it. So, um, yeah, so I think that that, I hope that answers the question, but I thought, yeah, that was a great question, Carol. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, before you come to Wendy, I'd like to sort of hover hover there a bit what about the white people who who say they don't benefit from the system um maybe you can think of that as yeah. uh, as as uh, wendy responds on what it feels like to just uh to come into into this space and do this work thank you carol well I would say what really actually pulled me to following no white saviors on Instagram before even ever working for them formally was what they were sharing. These were things that were not new to my eye as a person. Having worked in the hospitality industry, the service industry, in one of those uptown um, coffee shops, I've seen so many white saviory narrative, white saviory instances just in this past for a period of about three years. So when I got to the No White Saviors Instagram, I was blown away. I could not imagine there were people that were putting into words things that I had witnessed, things that I had felt cringy about but did not know how to describe them. So for me, it was basically someone saying, oh, welcome home. And then also to add that I do have a background in ethics and human rights. I am very passionate about ethics. I believe as human beings, we cannot just live our lives without critically reflecting on how we are living our lives. So I feel that the Norway Saviors team does a lot of critical reflection on a number of things, day-to-day -day things that people often take for granted, from the small inherent trust, the benefit of doubt we Ugandan, Kenyans give white people, to, you know, so many things that can go overboard. So the fact that, that as a team, they would sit down, critically assess these things from a justice point of view, from a racial point of view. I, yeah, it basically made me feel like I was home. And I won't say the journey has been that easy. When I joined No White Saviors, they hardly had an office, but they were able as a team, Olivia and Kelsey, who are fundraising for different organizations that were already established. So yeah, I, I was just so glad that I joined. I was so glad and happy with already what they had done with barely any office space. I would like to stress that. They were working in coffee shops and <laughs> home. So yeah, it's been a hard journey. And I strongly believe, I don't know what you may, what people may call no white a global organization or international, but I feel like no white savior. This is something I shared in one of our groups recently. It was a tweet, and I feel like no white savior falls there. We are like um, we are village 
organization doing global yes. things. Ah, love like that. Small, small. Love that. <laughs> yeah, so, a organization doing global things. Yeah, so I'm happy to be with this team. I know we as um as an organization can only do the bare minimum. Lots of folks need to come out, join the cause, talk about these issues. So yeah, we need to join hands like you guys, Carol, what you're doing in Nairobi, the conference that we attended, things like this need to happen more often. Conversations that the Norway service team is having need to become the norm because for so long, white people are getting away with a lot of things on this continent from enslaving our brothers and sisters, African-Americans to um, colonizing us which is still happening so you yeah. need to join forces and you know fight this global thing called white supremacy or white segregation hmm. um i know kelsey i i had asked you a question about people who white people who say they've they've not gained from it i'd like you I'd like you to add to that to that answer what you would say your wins have been and uh each of you can share um a victory that is personal to you that you've if you felt and then um yeah kelsey you can begin so that so, you, answer, you mm -hmm. answer you answer kelsey can start so that she answers to the question about um white people who say they've they are not advantaged then uh then all of the then the rest of us can talk about something that you feel that you've won or gained or a victory that you've that you've seen in the years that you've been in existence which is how many years two two and a half two and a half okay yeah two and a half years yeah. um we'll invite you to our third birthday party <laughs> Yay! Um, <laughs> I'll be there. Yeah, so Carol, what I was going to say, that's a great question, a very important one. And I think when we really understand anti-Blackness and white supremacy on a global perspective as a system of power, um, then we also understand that it's had to be built on a, a number of lies and mistruths and half-truths and, um, and just complete pseudoscience to be able to subjugate and dehumanize Black people in the way that it has. So with that, on the flip side, it also has had to result in us as white people believing lies about ourselves and um, perpetuated lies about white superiority, um, inherent morality, trustworthiness, and, and the way that we also, the way that we benefit from the system. So I think we oftentimes have conversations about how anti-blackness, racism and white supremacy is harming black people and non-white people of color. Um, but we don't often talk enough about how a direct, um, a direct result of that is the way that white people benefit, that these two things don't, white privilege and the power um, opportunities, protections offered under this system that white people experience are not in isolation, but are in a direct result. So. Even if our, we, you hear commonly white people say, well, my, I'm, it wasn't my ancestors or I'm not the one who built this system or created this system, so why do I have to be held accountable? Or um, I'm white and I grew up poor. And, and you know what? Those excuses are things that I'm sure I, I know at some point have thought about. I grew up um, in a low-income single-parent household. But the, the real truth is when we open our eyes, our ears, and we listen to Black people talk about their experiences, these things are, in the, these experiences transcend socioeconomic. Of course, being poor and black is, your life is harder um, than being wealthy, but being wealthy does not um, take away the dehumanization of the system of white supremacy. So, um, you know, I, I think that, I, I'll summarize it to say, we have to maintain these lies. We as white people have to maintain these lies for this system to be in existence for over 400 years. And so we are very dedicated to that, um, to pretending we don't benefit, to ignoring the truth and the realities of it. And 
um, if we're if we're unwilling to acknowledge it, it's because we we really don't want to do the work to give up the power um, that is necessary and the resources that is necessary of us um, when we actually acknowledge the truth. Oh, thank you, Kelsey. Um, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll win, and then we go to Olivia with a few wins. Oh, a would win, you, yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to share a win first? Okay, so I think a win would be the fact that we have built a mechanism, whether people like it or not, because we have people who either love, I think people usually either love or hate us. I think that's pretty fair to say. There's not a lot of people that fall in the middle. Um, so whether you love it or hate no white saviors, whether you love or hate us as individuals, in the last few years and two and a half years, we've been, we've been able to build a mechanism of accountability for white um, violence towards black people. And that is something that we cannot trust the judicial system in the US or Uganda or Kenya to, to be able to do because no judicial system in the world has been built to hold whiteness accountable. And so that's when it, it, it does take groups like No White Saviors to expose, um, expose people like Renee Bach, um, expose people like uh, um, Barry Glazer, and these are people that I really encourage folks, if they don't know about these two cases, to look into um, two white people, two very extreme um, forms of white saviorism and anti-Black violence in the name of doing good. So yeah, two wins. Like I think the biggest win for me is that this exists, that this exists and we are showing um, as a collective that this is, it is possible to hold whiteness accountable. Awesome. Um... Olivia, a win, a win for you. What would you say has been a win? Uh, okay. Um, I'll start by saying a win for me in terms of this work and in terms of the journey that we embarked on is that I am happy to see that our work speaks and continues to speak for itself in different parts of the world. And also, we another win is seeing this work being used, our content being used as a reference in different institutions around the world. This is something that we never thought about, but it has been a great win. And also the continuation of people wanting to do better through consulting with no white saviors, because as as people uh, portray us being radical we have seen a continuation of so many people wanting to get to hear what we say on issues, on how they can do better. And I think with this work, if we're, in a, if we're doing it collectively, then we are going to see the change that we have always advocated for in life and the change that we want to see the world take. So those are wins for me. And also as a person, um, there's, there's been more awareness that has been created because so many people actually had no idea that, um, that there were these issues and they didn't only affect people um, in the US or other parts of the world, but even in Africa. So our content also has opened up more on the African audience for people now to really wake up and say, hey, this is a problem. We are seeing this as something that we need to redefine the way we thought about ourselves for, for a very long time. And also our win is the, one of my wins is the amazing team that, that I work with to create this social change. Everyone has, has a very vital part to play on this team everyone brings unique skills and it's very hard to get a team that works together to, to, to bring about this change and to have the same passion. So, so for me, every day is a win. When I, when I do this work, I, I'm winning every day. I know there are challenges here and there, but uh, my win is every day. I win every day with this work when I talk about it. So yeah, that's what I would say, Carol. Yeah, man. And I, I just, can I just say that? Yeah. 
behind the Instagram, uh, for many of you, behind the Instagram handles, behind the, the posts are people uh, that I can vouch for. They are, these are human beings who really love the continent, who really love uh, and are called to doing the work they, that they do. And they are very, um, they are amazing hosts and quite fun to hang out with. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's someone who can outdance you on the dance floor, and I'm not naming names. Wendy, Wendy I will name. No, we will name the names. It's, it's will, definitely Namatov. Wendy, we shall name you. <laughs> definitely not the colonizer. <laughs> definitely not. Wendy, so what has been your win so far, if you would say? Uh, one of the biggest we are the team seeing the need that education fellows on the continent have been given to change and actually continuing to talk about what the journey of decolonizing education looks like to a point where we are right now establishing our own Pan-African library I hope, Carol, you'll come at the grand opening of the library. I have to, yo, I really, like, I, <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Please, Corona, be done. I am done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so for me, that's a win-win as a person, and it's of no white savior. The second win for me is um, having the conversations that NWS has on Instagram, the consultation room on Facebook with my own friends and seeing their reactions is the win for me and how they quickly go from, but are you sure to now, ah, oh, I see, you're so right. It's like every time I have a conversation, if just even one friend and I'm able to, sh I'm able to shed light on just one issue about global white supremacy, about um, neo-colonialism, colonialism, about Pan-Africanism, and how they quickly shift, how their rationale quickly shifts is, is a win for me as a, an individual. And also noticing that uh, organizations on the continent, in Uganda, in Nairobi, anywhere in the world, especially those doing humanitarian work in how they are very cautious of what they're putting out when it comes to imagery, when it comes to how they are telling stories of beneficiary, how they hold back, they're like, oh, we do this. Do you think NWS, you know? So that the fact that they're able to have those internal conversations, the fact that they're able to think twice because they know there's a watchdog out there that is going to call out this harmful behavior is a win. And with that, I would, a lot of people have, like, people have problems with the approach that NWS or the people ask things like, do you think the call out culture is effective? Guess what? We've seen it work. People don't want to change unless they are threatened with public. And if that's what it's going to take for people to change, to treat black people, to treat Africans, to treat Ugandans in a more human way, we will call you out if that's what works. We know there, there are lots of other methods that people can use. I mean, we all can't choose the same method. Some people will be radical, some people will be soft, but the goal is justice. The goal is to fight anti-blackness. So if our approach is this and it's actually working, please, we will do that. Nsingi is a Swahili word meaning foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 89.14. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website www.musingitrust.org 
follow us on all our social media handles at Misingi Trust or email us on info at misingitrust.org. Yeah, I really agree that a lot of people are now more cautious with the kind of publication that they put out. But also that uh, when do for people to know that you just don't run an Instagram page, like all yeah. people are not seated in office running oh, an yeah, Instagram page. Exactly. So, what, so what programs do you have? So uh, what a lot of folks know us as No White Savior, but No White Savior is a tiny bit of a larger organization called Kusimama Africa. So we are registered as a nonprofit called Kusimama Africa. And No White Savior falls inside this organization under their education program. So it's a campaign. So Kusimama Africa does what you see No White Savior doing under the education program. It also does action and advocates. Um, with action, a lot of times people you know again people stress oh who is getting it right because you know people like to there's a problem when you ask who is getting it right it feels more like you cannot do the right thing unless you see someone else getting it right but hey we, we we can provide concrete examples we we work with already established ugandan small organizations help them and their social media fundraise and yeah and we believe we've seen these organizations from the ground to where they are now so we believe in the work that we do so we highlight the work that we do if you check our stories if you check our website you'll see these organizations so we are not only telling people to change we are saying hey there are a few organizations here in Uganda on the ground that I do doing the work, can you copy a list? Then with advocates, we, the few cases that are Kelsey highlighted, of course, we all know what really hinders so many people to access justice, to access the legal system. Anywhere in the world is usually the finances. You find that the victims cannot pay lawyers. They don't have the funds to pursue um, legal means. And then you find that the perpetrators of this crime have lots of money. They can bribe judges, they can bribe lawyers and so forth. So you find that on both ends, victims and perpetrators money. So we notice this need for the victims and yeah, we will fundraise for a case from nullifying adoptions that are based on fraud to the Berry Glazer, to the Renee Bach case, yeah. So that's what we do as Kusimama Africa, even though a lot of people know us as No White Saviors, which is okay because it's No White Savior, the Instagram, the Facebook, that bath Kusimama Africa as an organization. And Carol, you know what that, the name of Kusimama, you know what it means. Maybe we're saying yes. it, can you say it in the best Kiswahili? <laughs> <laughs> you've stood up mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah you want africa to stand up to rise up yeah yep so yeah. um uh, uh olivia i'd like you to share a loss and then uh a loss on behalf of the team um what mm. would you say has been a loss that you as a team have have shared uh, a loss yes one loss i know you've had many if you so one loss okay uh what i would call a loss would be um and this would fall on our end when it comes to actually in in, in uganda the country like achieving the justice that we want to see we find that the legal systems they are very slow and in most cases, we've, um, we've fundraised so much to see this work going on at higher speed or pace, but you find that everything is very slow. Every process is slowed down. 
and that's why we keep on saying justice delayed is justice denied. But um, this is something the team, me, Wendy, Olivia, and the rest cannot, uh, and Kelsey cannot uh, really change because it's our systems that we have to depend on to get this justice. And also um, to share also our, um, what we feel is a loss is that um, our work, it is it's a pity that our work continues to be censored on Instagram. And it's a pity that it's the only uh, a social media handle that now is engaging so, so many people. Yeah. And, and yeah, and this affects us because we want to push this message to the world the way it is without um, trying to change or trying to, to, um, to change the description of what we're talking about. But you find that we are limited, it goes down. And as a team, we are saying, what do we do after, you know, trying, uh, creating that good content and also wanting people to, to learn from, um, um, from what we are talking about. And, and, um, and of course, of course, the journey within this work has not uh, been an easy one when it comes to also um, the risks involved in the work. Like there's um, people continuing to uh, waste time with, uh, let's say, uh, lawsuits threatening here and there. And these are losses on our end because at the end of the day, we put in a lot of time yeah. to, to sit in, in, in this, um, in, in these cases, get solutions, do this. That's also wasting time on our end. Um, but all in all, like any other justice work, you expect this along the way, but it's a, it's a matter of uh, devising very strong um, mechanisms of handling such situations and, and seeing the work continue. Because we've also seen from people in the past um, strong people like um, the Martin Luther King, they were taken to jail, they were imprisoned, there was lots of time, there was, you know, there were so many things that they encountered. And, and so this doesn't stop our journey, we are still moving on because this is what we, we envisioned at some point that we'll have to go through all this. We can't go sailing on a silver plate it has to have some um, some ups and downs. Maybe Wendy or Kelsey would love to add something. I would, um, yeah. You yeah. summarized it really well. I think the only thing, sometimes our sanity, <laughs> but it's because the nature of the work, um, you know, there's certain, like Olivia Brooke broke down about lawsuits and people want to find a way to make it personal. So personal attacks and a lot of that, I would say 90% nine or more that we don't let people know about, about emails, DMs, different messages and things said about us to us and things like that. But at the end of the day, you know that when you're really challenging um, anti-blackness and, and white supremacy, you're going to be met with that. So when you really understand the system and how resistant it is to releasing power and control, you, you understand you know, what you're going to come up against. Cool. So I was thinking about um, about what that weight. I think you don't like on my own Instagram account. I just I get overwhelmed by my twenty followers. I I don't even want to imagine <laughs> what the weight of having eight hundred thousand people on your phone. Like it's. It's, it's, it's a lot. But I want to contextualize this conversation and, and talk about East Africa and um, East Africa and the two main areas where actually there are now three. There's, uh, there's the missionary work, there's the tourism industry, there's uh, when you put tourism, you you put the conservation um, field and then there's the startup world. And I, I don't know uh, if you, on my 
from my perspective, I see that those are the areas where whiteness is rife. And it doesn't matter whether it's in startup ventures, whether it's in missionary work, whether it's in tourism stroke conservation, that's, that's our whiteness problem in Kenya and in uh, Uganda, because we share a lot of uh, similar problems. Are we ready to have those conversations? And if we are, what conversations do we need to have as East Africans around whiteness in those areas? Wendy, you can, you can go and then, yeah. Um, thank you, Carol. Again, I would like to stress this one more time, the education you and I, Carol, Kelsey, Olivia, have been given can either liberate us or enslave us. And for the most part, the education we've received as East African, as Kenyans, as Tanzanians, is not one that allows us to critically or analyzing from how the role of missionaries in, in this region is taught, from how religion is told to us, from um, the legal system and how they still run on very colonial anti-Black laws. That alone shows you what needs to be done for us as East Africans. We need to question and you cannot question if you can if your knowledge system of is not about certain things is not expanded. You cannot do that. So we need to involve ourselves in reading, and not just any kind of rubbish reading. We need to reimagine what we are reading. We need to see things from another perspective. We need to question. Why are they so much interested in me seeing things this way rather than this way? We need to be critical. We need to be intentional about the things that we love. And again, with that, I people underestimate the power that is within reading. But mm. for what I know, all that I know now as a person, because I've been reading, currently I'm reading like a bible i don't even call it a book anymore i have my bible <laughs> whose author is Sylvia tamale on afro-feminism and decolonization mm -hmm. yes she gives, yeah oh man she's amazing yeah and then she gives very many interesting perspectives perspectives that i would never know if i had not purchased this book so that alone shows you how much is power in reading, in being hungry for knowledge. Um, it, 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 being hungry for knowledge is not a one-day thing. It's a continuous process. You have to come into a space as an East African that you do not know and you want to know on a daily basis. So yeah, as East Africans, if we are going to be intentional, if we're going to be critical about the whiteness conservation, the whiteness of religion. We can't do this if we have no knowledge about whiteness. It is not labored to read books um, that you know are going to help us in our decolonization journey. So yeah, reading. Um, yeah, I guess that's it for me. And as you've highlighted, Carol, whiteness is everywhere. It's it, 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 it's a global problem from the Caribbean, from anywhere there's a black person on this globe. There's a problem of white subjugation. So yeah, we can only overcome it by expanding what we know and not just taking in anything, being critical about what we take in as East Africans. Thank you, Wendy. Um, Olivia? <laughs> uh, thank you, Kyle. Wendy has talked about education, but I would have maybe just two or three different um, 
ways. So you, you were very clear when you talked about whiteness being in every space of our lives as East Africans. And, and we, we, don't, we shouldn't actually blame ourselves because the people who brought this are there and they knew what they were doing when they brought this culture of whiteness into, into our lives, into our countries. But as East Africans, what, what do we do at this point that we know that all this exists in, um, in, um, in our communities or in our country? I would love by saying that the first thing that we need to do as East Africans is to acknowledge that we live with whiteness in our day-to-day lives to acknowledge that it is there. That is the first step even before finding solutions, but our own acknowledgement that this is a problem and this is something that we live in every day starts our journey of finding solutions on how to, um, to handle this. And also redefining our thinking as East Africans when you talked about the education bit, but this is also something to do with the way whiteness has made us feel. Whiteness has made us think about ourselves not being worthy. Whiteness has made us feel that we are not ready for leadership positions. We are not ready to decide to make our own decisions as East African people. And it has also made us feel that we are needy. We need to be given all the time. We need to be um, we need to be in this state of um, pity, a state of um, not knowing what our future holds for us. So we need to think about all these issues. Being being um, a white supremacy ideology to keep it alive in our countries and in our communities, and also. Um, holding these conversations in our homes about whiteness and the effect of whiteness. We need to begin talking about um, these topics with our children, with our sisters, with our brothers, with our family members, because the conversation starts from there. And then we can pull out of the house and then talk to our neighbors and then talk to a larger community. After telling our people that within whiteness, there's anti-blackness, there's internalized oppression, there's us hating ourselves, which is, not, which is not something that we created, but their system of white supremacy created this. So holding this conversation is very, very important. And also sharing the different experiences as East Africans. Right now, we are creating this awareness that there is white, white supremacy by talking, holding these conversations. We are speaking to you, Carol. We are telling you that, you know what? There is a problem that we need to address. So the conversations, having this solidarity among us ourselves as East African people and identifying the common enemy. Who is our enemy here? If we are going mm-hmm. to talk about whiteness, we need to know our common enemy so that we can devise means of fighting this enemy, mm. and and it's and it's 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 upon us to um to to think of this critically, and to share and to be open with one another as East Africans, so that we can get a solution. Because in most cases, we have people who are still uh, keeping this ideology alive by saying there is no problem. Actually, I don't see. I don't see whiteness in my space. I'm a Ugandan and I'm doing this, I'm doing that. So siding with white supremacy is something that we should also not do. We should now be running away from yeah. white supremacy. We shouldn't side with it on anything as East African people because, because we, when we look at what happened in, in the earlier years, we didn't side with them. They, we, we were just hospitable to them were just kind and and um and and nice at receiving them but see where where it got us to it got us to a very hard point that we don't want our history we don't want this history to repeat itself so as east africans 
See, we need to come together in our East African community and get better means of, mm -hmm. you know, coming together and having a united Africa, <laughs> a united East Viva. Africa. Like. <laughs> Viva, yes. And I think um, I, I'd like you to maybe add a sentence or two here because many people mm -hmm. will ask, why is it important for us to tackle uh, to tackle this, yet white people are bringing aid, white people are bringing businesses, they're the ones coming mm. with, uh, with the gospel. And then they're saying that now 50 years or 60 years, uh, you've, you, you have independence as Africans. Why are you still <laughs> struggling and blaming the white man? Oh, I, I love that when people say that uh, 50 years later we are independent, but are we really independent when we still have your, the, the colonizers' uh, colors in our national flags? They, those people did this on intention of having a link back to, uh, to Africa because, because they knew if they build things like the schools that we have in this country and the hospitals built by missionaries, then they, that's the trace back for them to come back. And also the fact that we still have, we're going through the same curriculum, like the British here in Uganda, doesn't show that we are independent. They just said, okay, let's show the world, but we are still in control. Why don't you leave us to become independent by forming our own laws, having our own curriculum that tells us our true history? Why does it still have to be attached to you? And also people who are saying that, yes, the white man is now bringing aid, but he's bringing aid with strings attached. Because at the end of the day, when they come to our countries, they are the ones directing where the aid should go in terms of hiring who should work in these big NGOs. When you look at all the NGOs around us, the top management are all white. And, that is, and they are coming to deliver the, the aid to African countries. We should be in charge of this. Uh, people should be on top, they're making decisions. But the fact that decisions are still made for us doesn't show any independence. It just shows that we are neo-colonial, you know, states of these former colonizers. So we should actually, um, we shouldn't be grateful for that. Because at the end of the day, when they bring in, they are taking back. How many minerals are leaving Africa or Congo on a daily basis? There are so many. They're taking the gold, they're taking, they taking the cobalt, they're taking the diamonds. But at the end of the day, how is Congo benefiting? Mm. It's, still, it's still in that state of war, and no one wants the war in Congo to end. So when we're critically looking at what the white man is bringing for us and what he's taking from us even now, then we shouldn't be grateful for anything because when we see how what is exported from Africa to feed Europe is, mm. is too huge. What are we getting? We are getting peanuts. So it is, it is something that we need to critically assess. And, and I'll go back to what Wendy said, the education. This education is, they gave us, is blocking us to see that they is helping, they are helping us. They are saving us, they are giving charity, they are donating, but at the end of the day, white supremacy doesn't put where it doesn't gain. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So um, as we're winding up, uh, Kelsey, and uh, I'll go to Kelsey, then uh, uh, Wendy, and then Olivia, What? what's ahead in this journey? What's where do we go from here? What's, what are you looking forward to as we journey together in these conversations? Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question, um, Carol. I think that what's ahead for us as a team, um, we have the opening of our library and cafe um, called Sankara Library and Cafe, Pan-African oh. Library and Cafe. That's an important point um, that it's, a Pan-African library and the first of its kind here in Uganda. And that's an exciting um, opportunity for us to see more um, this education and conversation more accessible to people in Uganda. We wanted to have a very clear space that was offline and that was dedicated towards making sure more people here could join in that conversation. Because as we talked about and Wendy mentioned, 
this can it can't exist by just the No White Saviors team and people close to us having the conversation, but the more people that have the ability to access it, the the more change that can be possible. And so, yeah, I think that's one part that's ahead. And I think also just seeing growth within uh, the work that we do, making our team has been growing, which has also allowed us to do more. But as we continue to strengthen what we do, seeing it grow into other countries as well. We've been told that, you know, there's been people requesting us to come to Haiti, to South Africa, to different places where these issues are very much present and prevalent. And I think, the yeah, it, it's exciting to hear and to see um, people see a need for what we do in Uganda to grow internationally as well. Thank you. Um, I can travel with you guys. So as as the, as the <laughs> I am available. <laughs> I'm available. We we would love that. <laughs> yes. Uh, Wendy, what's ahead? Um, as a a team member, the noise What's ahead for the team? See these conversations that we are having on Instagram, on Twitter, even out of the, you know, the social media platforms, is to see them become the norm. It's just, we need, we want to make sure that we are not organizing only conferences, that people are actually having these conversations on their dining tables at home as they're having food. And then seeing a real shift in the education. The Noah Saviors Thomas Sankara Pan African Library can only do very little. If the curriculum here in Uganda is the same, then it means we're just changing the tip of the problem. So perhaps in one way or another, if there's a way the NWS team could work with the Ministry of Education to see that the curriculum changes, to see that Ugandan children are taught critical thinking, critical reflection, or maybe even having um, a short-term course at a public university that uh, teaches about whiteness, about race, because Ugandans need to be aware of these conversations. We're at a point where we are no longer only Ugandan citizens, we are global citizens. The moment you step on that plane and you're out there, you're not Ugandan anymore. You're black or white or brown. So it's important that conversations about whiteness in every other space are normalized. And how? By providing education as a skill set, as a tool for individuals to critically analyze and assess things. So, yes. Awesome, Wendy. Always taking us back to education and uh, critical thinking and critical analysis. Uh, my sister, Olivia. <laughs> Garo, what? <laughs> Kelsey, Where do we go from here? Kelsey and uh, Wendy have really talked about it, but um, the future of No White Saviors is big, huge, and actually none of us, none of us can even hold it because at this point we feel that it is too big for any of us. And we, we might be talking about uh, our library and maybe we, in the future, we are seeing a Pan-African school in Uganda. So, so it is so huge. Yay! The... Awesome! <laughs> I want to be in that school. <laughs> and the reason why I'm saying this is because the, the way Noah Saviors has grown is, is amazing. Like in two and a half years, and we have that to show to people, then we don't know with the strength of this team what is going to happen in the next two years. We might be actually limiting ourselves to only this, but then something big is coming because now with the nature of our work, we expect um, to be growing bigger and also we expect to to, to make this team much larger 
because the more we grow on Instagram, the more we have different um, things to put together and say, okay, let's develop this, let's come with this. Let's, and all these are mechanisms of educating people. So our future is big in terms of uh, also at one point, bringing in more people to help us on different roles. And also we see, we see ourselves now um, getting to work with more organizations in East Africa and beyond, and beyond East Africa, Africa, and the whole world. But at the end of the day, it's all about education from us here and advocacy and action. <laughs> yes, Carol. Wow. Oh man, I'll be. I'll, I'm. I'm inside that plan somehow. I don't know how, but uh, <laughs> but I want to thank you so much, guys, for the work that you're doing, the the impacts that you that you're making around the world is massive. And I also want to thank you for your support and putting out the work of Nsingi on your platform. That's really amazing for me as well as a young organization so i i i love you guys and i love the work that you do. <laughs> we love you too i'm putting we it on record so that so that you guys never doubt my love <laughs> <laughs> now we we have it recorded we have it recorded, <laughs> have it recorded. Oh my God. And, and you can use it against me sometimes <laughs> But we love you, Carol. We we love the work you do, and we you know there's yeah. few people we would jump on a, a like such a last minute recording with, but you're one of them, and you are family, and we you know we have the the way that you fe we feel supported and loved by you when you're here in Kampala or we're in Nairobi. It's like no time has has passed, and I feel like we've known you much longer than we have. We've known you for like what Olivia met you two and a half years ago. Yes right at the beginning of No White Saviors, yes. and I met you a year later, um, but I feel like we've known you for 10 years, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's it, guys. So thank you, everybody. If you've been inspired, challenged, and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such, remember to follow us on social media at Musingi Trust, share this podcast with your friends and family, and also consider making a donation support the production of this podcast. Donations can be made through PayPal, msingikenya at gmail.com, Patreon at msingikenya, or through M-Pesa, plus 254-792-176-030. Kwaherini, and thank you for joining us.